Coming to you from the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains, Denver, Colorado, it's the Savage Cast, a Savage Worlds podcast brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Savages. Here are your hosts, Chris Savage Mummy Fox and Christopher Savage Bull Landau. Savages! Hey everyone, welcome to Savage Cast. I'm the Savage Mommy. And I'm the Savage Bull. And we're back. Uh, this is our, uh, what? 15th. Episode? Yeah, we broke the lucky 13th and we're wrapping up the year with a... 15th show. Yeah, so I know it's been a little while since we posted a show. I know we posted a, an actual play, but it's been a little bit for an actual show. So we, we thought it was time. Yeah, we want to thank you guys for listening. The, it's been a fun almost year. The, we'll call it a year. The uh, closing out 2016 here. And so I figured with uh, today's show, we'd uh, tell you a little bit about what we're planning for next year. Yeah, so uh, I threw out some uh, some ideas of some things I'd kind of like to, to see us do next year. And one is I want to make sure for you guys and all of our listeners that we do at least one show a month. So, and I, I don't know about you, Chris, but I think a show a month, not including actual plays, an actual show a month for 2017. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're, we're, we're kind of hitting our stride. We, we, if you can hear the audio quality, we decided to up our game and actually get some decent mics and a mixer. And the, uh, so hopefully we're, we're not as scratchy, weird. and Well, we're still weird, but right. we'll and sound better being weird. Maybe I don't sound like I'm in a cave because I know some people were saying before that I sounded like I was in a cave every time we recorded. Hey, hey, the parents' basement is not a cave. Be sensitive to our nerd issues, fans. So the next thing is more actual plays. Uh, I don't know that I'm going to say we're going to do 12 actual plays, but if we can get, you know, three, four, six actual plays in at some point, I think that would be something that we're going to try to shoot for. Yeah, it's kind of one of the advantages we, we have here in the Rocky Mountain region is we play hundreds of games a year. And uh, the the big thing is just editing them down and getting them recorded. And, you know, but the editing is just, it takes a long time as you got you know, four hours a game at least. And, you know, we want to make sure we get rid of all the, uh, <clears throat> and the, <clears throat> and the, whir. so. Yeah, you know, all those fun things. Yeah, all the stuff we really enjoy. I mean, you kind of, you got to listen to the game once to get a, a grasp on what's going on. Then you go back through and it's actually, it's, it's a pretty daunting task uh, going through and cleaning stuff up and, you know, anonymizing some stuff. Because there's some certain jokes that are funny at the table, but no one wants to have them, you know, played to their boss by that jealous coworker who, you know, was angling for a promotion above you or whatever. So we do our best to, to protect our players. Yeah, we'll make sure that we, uh, any of those actual plays that we put out, if need be, we'll put a rating on those if we need to, like our, the uh, Star Wars yeah, that yeah, we had yeah. to put an NC-17 on. So we'll let you guys know uh, whether you need to be careful and make sure you keep your headphones on when you're listening to those. So a couple other things that are kind of exciting for next year. Uh, we've kind of talked about one of them is our Savage Worlds 101. We want to start that series. That's going to be a series we're going to do that's going to be for first-time players, GMs, and uh, something that if you have some people who want to learn how to play the game, you could point them to the Savage Worlds 101. Yeah, so that the, the idea behind that is to be real, educational, demonstrative, you know, the too long didn't read, didn't read the book. And you know, we know people out there buy the books and then don't read them. Um, and that's fine. We want to get you playing anyway. So um, you can plug in those episodes. And, you know, if, if you haven't run a dramatic task, we will do an episode on dramatic task. And we will show you from, you know, start to finish. We'll talk about the, what the rules are, how to how to adjudicate it. And then we'll give you an example. So you can, you're, you're one or two, so you can see it you know, being played. And hopefully we'll, we'll kind of work our way through the rule book um, you know, starting with the, the quick start rules and, you know, delve eventually into the, you know, sci-fi companion and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, just with the idea being that you can listen to the podcast and get the rules. And so it won't be sexy, um, but we think it'll be very utilitarian. So, you know, at the end of that, when we have a, a full little suite of 101s, that that would be a great resource to say when someone's like, hey, I've never played Savage Worlds. Well, here, listen to these you know, 10 minute, 20 minute segments on, you know, the getting up started with the rules and then, you know, go from there. You can just point people to it and that will be kind of a go-to resource that's light on commentary, heavy on teaching. Yeah, I think that's pretty exciting and I think it'll be useful for folks. And, you know, if you're not a first time player, give it a listen anyway, you know, let us know what you think of it. Uh, we're, we're always uh, up for uh, input on things. Uh, the next thing that for 2017 was a new idea that I had. 
that's been kind of percolating in my brain a little bit is I want to do a Savage World setting series. So I want us to pick a setting or I want listeners to uh, send us settings that you're interested in and you want us to talk about. Uh, we'll give you our impressions. We'll talk a little bit about what makes it different from core. Um, I don't know that it's going to be so much a review per se as just, like I said, our impressions of it. Yeah, reasons you'd want to pick it up and play it. You know, ways to work it into your current campaigns. Reasons to dump your current campaigns and pick up a new campaign. So Yeah, and how, and how might you, uh, you could take things from that uh, and put it into different campaigns. So um, if you have settings that you'd like to have us go over, send them to us. Send it to us. Uh, we'll give you all that contact info at the end of the show. Uh, up, if you're a publisher or at savagecast.com. Yeah, if you're a publisher and, and you've got a new setting or a setting you'd like us to talk about, uh, get us an email, let us know. Um, we're not uh, uh, below uh, pimping for, for free stuff. So if you have something you want to give us a, a copy, a review copy to go over, uh, that would be great too. We'd be happy to do that. Yeah, and then obviously that fits in nicely with our ongoing World Builder series where we interview the people who create these kind of new and exciting worlds to play in and get their ideas on how to build worlds and uh, all that good stuff. That'll be you know, kind of two ongoing projects that are kind of fun. Yeah, and, and that would be something that would, like you said, dovetail perfect with going over that. So we could setting series slash interviews with the people who created them. Um, every, every setting we do, we wouldn't necessarily do an interview along with it. But if it's something brand new, you know, that's something that I think would be a lot of fun to put out there. Yeah, well, now we have the equipment, we can also do call-ins. So if you guys are, uh, if you're not in Colorado and don't make it to our conventions uh, or stalk Chris or I uh, to get on the show live, you can call in. We can either Skype you in or bring you in on a, on a phone call and we can do remote interviews. Yeah, that's uh, going to make it a lot of fun. All right, so moving on. So that's uh, plans for 2017. If you guys have any ideas, again, uh, let us know, and uh, we'll be happy to, to look at uh, other ideas for content as well. Yeah, new coming down the pipeline from our very own local Daryl Hardy is a brand new setting called Ghost Punchers. Yeah, this is uh, the Bare Knuckles edition. Uh, I played Ghost Punchers at one of our local cons. It's a lot of fun. Uh, basically think kind of Ghostbusters, uh, you know, there's ghosts out there and they need to be punched. Nice. Yeah. Uh, it's all explanatory. It's a great, great, uh, great little system. It's uh, not very expensive right now on RPG now. Um, so we'll have a link in the show notes for that. Um, I found something that I kind of thought was interesting from Grandma Games. Uh, it's uh, called World Crafting. Written by Andrej Ankstoj. Yeah, exactly. That's how you pronounce that. I hope it is. I don't know. That's why I let you pronounce it. Uh, this is basically a collection of essays uh, describing uh, the process that he uses uh, to create an RPG world. Now, it does use the Savage Worlds rules as its base, but it does specifically say in the description of it that it's system agnostic. So you could take what is is in those essays with whatever system you're playing and build your world that way. Yeah, there's another cool um, series of Savage Worlds reviews that are out by um, a company called Game Mecca Magazine. That's one word, G-A-M-E-C-C-A-M-A-G.com. And uh, they've gone through and done some Savage Worlds reviews so far, and they're pretty good quality. So Yeah, I think there's like eight of them. Uh, if you guys go to, uh, to Pinnacle's site and look at their news, uh, there's links to all of those in there, and we'll try to make sure we put those in the show notes as well so that if you want to go and look at any of those, um, it'll be easy to find. And now the last bit of news for the Savage News is something kind of exciting for show friend and a friend of ours, uh, Charles White. Charles has gotten Olympus Inc. up for sale on RPG now. Yeah. So the long wait is over. So if you guys want to check out Olympus Inc, you can help the show out. We'll put up a link that'll give us a small kickback from that. But the, uh, we're, we're excited about that system. I mean, Charles came on in one of our first interviews, um, gave us a rundown. So if you haven't checked out that out, go back to, uh, one of our previous episodes. I can't remember which one it was, but it was pretty, yeah, early. I don't remember which one it was, but the, uh, it should be easy to find. Yeah. They're all, they're all up on the site. 
Yeah, he gave us a great interview, and the system sounds like a lot of fun. So I'm glad that the uh, they've overcome the travails of crowdfunding, and the uh, it looks looks gorgeous. So yeah, they're there for a while with all the problems that Charles was having. I mean, I think even he was worried that you know this thing was just going to be take forever to come to print and for people to be able to buy it. So it's nice to see that it's available and ready for people to go out there and get and play. The, uh, and last but not least, we got some good controversy for the show today. So Chris and I want to discuss some controversial comments that came out recently on another podcast called the GM's Magazine Podcast. And uh, I think it's Paco John and Jim Pinto um, did a show where they basically talked about games that were bad for the industry. And uh, interestingly enough, Savage Worlds showed up. So we'll play you a clip from that podcast, and I think uh, Fox and I will discuss if we think think it's true and um, why it might be true and probably why it's not true. But the uh, the background here is Jim and, and Paco were talking about games that have been bad for the industry, and late in the show, Jim is talking about other indie RPGs. Um, Jim Pinto uh, creates independent RPGs, and uh, he just had a Kickstarter finish up, and so he's got a lot of, um, you know... Uh, products uh, for sale in that area and he was talking about how some of the other indie rpgs are too hipster or too microcosmic to have a wide appeal and he wonders himself why he's bothering to publish his own indie games in that genre when these other games and hypothesizes that um he'd rather just publish savage world stuff instead kind of as a as a as a joke or as a you know resigning himself to just put out savage worlds you know thing and so um, we'll, we'll cut into Jim giving his comment and, and we'll take it from there. And every time I see another indie game coming out, it makes me wonder, why am I making these kind of games too? Why don't I just make a, a Savage Worlds expansion and just do that for the rest of my life? No, Don, not Savage Worlds. I just needed an example of what popped in my head. I can't say GURPS anymore. No, but you can use a good example. Uh, I think I've said this before. I like uh, I like Shane. I like Pinnacle. I like Savage Worlds. I think the player base that I continue to encounter are the worst game masters in the industry. That, that so was... maybe we can say that despite we can add that to the list. Despite the fact that Savage Worlds is a good idea and mm-hmm. a good game, yep. it has been bad for the hobby because it is a it has empowered all these shitty GMs. So that's kind of where their comments on Savage Worlds stop. So pretty bold statement that Savage Worlds has the shittiest GMs in the hobby. Yeah, and I just don't see it. Every system is going to have shitty GMs. A shitty GM is is a shitty GM. Um, and I think also that sometimes when you think somebody's a shitty GM, maybe they're just off their game for that day. Not everybody's going to be on all the time. And I just, I think that a blanket statement like that with absolutely really nothing to back it up. So what, what, what makes them all shitty? Why, why are all shitty are all GMs who run Savage Worlds shitty GMs? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no way for us to really analyze that. And, um, and again, that's an opinion. Less than an right. Argument, but I'm just, I, yeah, I understand. Do we think there are things, is there something about Savage Worlds that would attract someone who's more prone to be either inexperienced or underprepared or not as much fun? And I think, um, there are some yes answers to this. I think Savage Worlds, because it is not a resource or preparation intensive game system, um, would be would appeal to GMs who might not want to put in a ton of time. And so that's both a, a major advantage, I think, and a curse. So, you know, by being so easy, you you, you will attract some, you know, low-hanging fruit kind of thing. Um, but again, that's not, I don't think it's endemic to the system. I think it's much more of an advantage than it is a disadvantage. Um, you know, I, I know in, in my experience, a lot of GMs who I really value stopped GMing other systems because it just took so much time to prep that they weren't getting out of it what they wanted. And I think um, we have a lot of really good longevity, at least in the Rocky Mountain Savages with GMs, because it's not arduous to prepare. It's not arduous to run. Um, you know, and I, I think our player base is pretty good, too. So I think that there might be something, some elements of the system that are a double-edged sword, and that's going to be with, with any system. Whereas, you know, I don't necessarily think that, you know, picking up Pathfinder as a novice GM would be something you could do. I mean, there's just 
so many too much. specific rules. Too much stuff. Too yeah. many books. Too much to try to figure out. And a lot of their stuff is uh, Pathfinder Society. So it's all pre-written modules. And I think you kind of have to know... I'm not saying you don't have to know the rules to run Savage Worlds, because you do, but I'm just saying it, there's so many more rules, and they're a bit more, I would say, convoluted Yeah, well, in Pathfinder. Is, I've played plenty of Pathfinder, and I still wouldn't feel comfortable running it. I mean, you know, right. it's, it's one thing to be able to play your character or a certain class, and you, you, know, you learn spells, you learn, you know, whatever. Um, but having to know it all, it just, it just seems a little right. it seems daunting. So I think in that sense, you'd have to, there's a, uh, a gap there where you'd have to be more experienced with the system before you'd even want to GM. Um, but I think also too, I've had my worst RPG experiences with systems like Pathfinder where, you know, the enjoyment of it was sucked out by the mentality of other players and the GMs because of things that the, that the play or the system rewarded that weren't fun for me. Right. You have to you have to get to the end of the adventure so that you get all the magic items and all of the XP that are for that because that's how you're going to keep up with the rest of the people who are playing, who are finishing the modules and getting all of this yeah, and if you so if you want that style of play, you know where to get it, and you're going to get it with those systems because you know they're tried and true, and you know a lot of players develop a culture around that. But you know, to me, it, it, like I, I can see someone who's a, on the, on the independent you know side of the the RPG industry not getting what they want out of a living, you know, uh, Pathfinder or living D and D or you know, those kind of systems because they're so. They're so different that in what the expectations are and what the play styles are and what players want to get out of them. You know, not that there's any wrong way to have fun. Um, yeah, so I don't believe that. And that's kind of well, that's kind of one of the other problems with the show is the, you know, opinions are fine, um, but if you're gonna just trash a bunch of RPGs, you know, it's kind of like you're you're burning you're burning the forest around your village. And so I, I think in some sense, Savage Worlds might be prone. You know, the strength of being an easy system to run and easy easy system to pick up. Um, could be prone to that, but in general, I don't, I don't find, and I've played a lot of Savage Worlds. I mean, we have the kind of the advantage here of having what 50 plus GMs who regularly run games, right? Yep, and um, you know, two conventions a year that you can run up to or play in 10 different slots. Um, so I've, I've been around, and and there are there are games where I'd say the GM boffed the game, I didn't have fun, uh, but I've had fun later with the same GM. So that's the other thing, too. is um, giving you know, giving people a chance to shine and knowing what their strengths are and the um, you know the one game the GM was just you could just tell that they were late in preparing so they had a lot of ideas in their head and they told us about the ideas for you know a good hour into the game but we didn't get around to playing whereas when they were comfortable with the material and running in a, a, you know, a different game different time fantastic GM so I think they're I'd speak more towards good and bad experiences versus, you know, a whole class of GMs. Right, a whole class of GMs that are that are that are shitty. You know, you bring up an interesting point about the preparation side of Savage Worlds, and kind of to to talk a little bit about what you had already said too. I I agree with that because the ease of Savage Worlds to run a game could lead to people saying, ah, "I don't have to prep anything. I'll just make it all up when I get there." And when you make when you're trying to make it all up when you get there, my opinion on that is that I just don't think I don't think you're gonna run as good a game because it's not gonna have as much of a flow as a game. Now I'm not saying you have to prepare for hours and hours and hours, but write some bullet points on an index card. Who, what, where, when, why, and how. And that's all you need. And then Savage Worlds lets you run with just that. The rules are simple enough that if you have that information and you have to make up an NPC on the fly or you have to run a chase or a dramatic task, it's not going to take you that long to get that going because the rules are pretty straightforward. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And that's another other thing too, I think, is that, you know, so to counter the statement, I think we have the best GMs in the industry. Oh, some of the most creative folks. I mean, like, run Savage Worlds yeah, games. Where else are you going to find? You know, at, at the last convention, we had a, a small, a smaller Tacticon this year because we, it was moved to the Springs, and 
um, Carl Kieser ran Goonies meets Ghostbusters, right? You are never going to get that. Well, one, you can't buy it because the licensing would be, you know, insane. So it won't be on the mass market. But Savage Worlds makes it easy enough where people can bring funny, creative ideas like that to the table. And, you know, even without being published, that was a fantastic game. The production value was was, was hilarious. It was fun. You know, the, you know, the nostalgia of, of Ghostbusters. And, and the Goonies. game itself was a lot of fun to play. It was a fun game. Yeah, exactly. And then, so, you know, that was one. So then another game I played was a, um, like an Arabian Nights style game. Bill Keys ran that. And again, a very fun game because he kept the tone in line with the kind of, you know, Persian, Arab, uh, epic fantasy setting. And, you know, there aren't any given, you know, splat books or published settings in Savage Worlds, but Again, it was it's an easy enough system to adapt to your idea that Bill was able to take an idea that he could have run in other systems, but he ran it in Savage Worlds, uh, and play a very interesting game. And the you know, so I had a fantastic time in that game. It was one of those games where um, it was actually a game I cheated in, uh, and this is how oh, I cheated. The, no. uh, now this is this is a good cheat. The, it's uh, confession time on oh, Savage Cast. Yeah. Tell me about when you cheated. So. The, the game had this kind of air of epic fantasy um, magic, and the um, I'll tell you what happened first, and I'll tell you, you know, how I did it. So the, we're, we're getting to the end of the game, and we're, it, it's clear the heroes are, are kind of on that the about to win point. You know, we, we've, we've gotten the upper hand, we're doing the big, you know, the big bad finale. And the, in epic style, I asked the GM, I was like, "Can I deal the next round of cards?" And he said, I said, I will give you all my bennies. So I had a stack of like seven bennies. I'm like, can I give you all my bennies to deal the next round? And um, he looks at me kind of quizzically and says, sure. And so I begin to deal out and I dealt out um, Ace of Spades, Ace of Clubs, Ace of Hearts, Ace of Diamonds, Joker, (laughs) Joker, and then to the enemies, like two of clubs. And the... um, and people didn't realize what happened at first because they were all you know, worried about their character. But then they looked around the table and were like, you know, what are the odds, right? What are the odds of the perfect deal? You know, every single high card, both jokers and the enemies get the lowest card. And um, the guess everyone's kind of pretty astounded by it. And I didn't tell anybody until the end of the game. But the uh, it, it kind of it fit with the magic of the game. I, I didn't, you know, it didn't happen naturally. Let's put it that way. I mean, it wasn't uh, – I didn't know cosmically that, that – those were the next, you know, eight cards in the deck. Right. But, um, you know, I asked for the the, the bennies and and never, it, 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 it fit with the game. I thought it was I thought it was fun. I'm glad people. I'm glad it was received well. It was a risk. Um, but it turned out that the reason I was able to pull this off is Matt just happened to be using the same deck of cards that I had in my backpack. So I had the exact same card deck and it's kind of a a steampunky okay um deck of cards so it's not it wasn't a common deck it wasn't you know it's kind of one of those like limited edition decks that was in the stores for a little bit and i when i noticed that at the beginning of the the, the of the game i'm like wait a minute that's the exact same deck of cards and I, i've never seen that deck anywhere else it was kind of one of those i think i picked it up when i picked up my hardback savage worlds rule book so it's been sitting in my backpack for use for a couple years and um i figured it'd be really cool um, to do a magic trick, and I, I did some magic tricks when I was a uh, younger kid with a society of young magicians, and um, so nerd, I, yeah, totally out of practice. But yeah, I went through my deck, pulled out the cards, palmed them, and then when he you know, gave me the deck, you know, I dealt all the cards. So the um, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> You're horrible, but the uh, you know, and that that's that's a big risk, and, and and by the book, it's absolutely cheating. I mean, it's not it's it's manipulating the game system in an unfair way, but. The, um, you know, I did give them all my bennies for it. And it, it wouldn't have, the, the way I made the calculation was it didn't give, we were, we were, we have turned the tide. It was, we obviously by getting everyone to go first and all the Joker abilities were going to get to go off and all that kind of stuff. Because I think two people had, you know, when you have a Joker, you get to, you know, do your damage stuff. Like, oh, those, like that. those edges that no one ever takes because they only come out with a Joker and yeah, people well, think they're horrible. Yeah, but I paid attention, and I, I dealt, the, dealt the cards right. And I, I gave myself the last card. I mean, I went before the enemies, but it, it didn't even matter. I wasn't even in a position to, to, to act much. Um, but I thought it was um, it was fun. It was fun for a mystical kind of game. And uh, But I think that's that's something where 
the GM had to allow it to happen, even, you know, had to take the risk on it, not knowing what's going on. And I'd say that's a, a very mature, excellent thing about a GM that would go with a completely off the, the, the cuff idea and have the flexibility to run with it. And, you know, whereas if I were, I, I, you couldn't do that in a, a different system that was running a living campaign because right. that, that would be textbook cheating. That would be, you know, against all the players you couldn't, you know, that would be a problem in those systems. Whereas Savage Worlds, I think, because it's pulpy, because it's fun, because it's a little hero oriented, uh, the Benny mechanic itself has this kind of spirit to it. Um, I, you know, that was a, a great thing by that GM. So I don't know if you'd, if I'd be comfortable doing that in another system um, or with another, a different GM who wasn't prepared to kind of roll with it the way a lot of our Savage Worlds GMs are. Yeah, do you think part of that, though, was because it's a GM that we know and a local guy that we've all gamed with and we know him? Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and that's... I mean, so what was his... Let me ask you this. What was his... I guess we, we might get it, be getting a little bit off off yeah, what why, the type was. But, but let me ask you this. What was his reaction at the end of the game when you said that, when you told everybody what you did? Well, the everyone wanted to... Like, the one problem was everyone kind of wanted to stop the game right there and have me tell them. I'm like, no, we're going to have to wait because I don't uh, know. The, the rule of magic is you don't do a trick twice and you don't tell people how you do a trick. But given that, you know, it was, you know, I, I didn't want, it, it would have been fun not to tell anybody and have them all just believe in magic again. But, you know, come on, we're all right. 30 to 40 people year old. And we, you know, I, knew, I didn't want to be a jerk and have people pondering it for, for the day. Uh, but no, he was absolutely, you know, um, really encouraging about it. And afterward, I, I even, you know, after the game said, I hope you don't mind. I did that. And I know it's, you know. Uh, I know it, it could have affected the outcome of the game, whatever, but um, I thought, you know, it was a con game. And that's, that's kind of the other thing, too, is I think the expectations for a con game and how to run a con game are different than a home game. And most, I, oh, yeah, most definitely. I think Savage Worlds works well in both. And that's kind of the question I'd have back to Jim, if you ever wanted to, you know, defend his comments, is the have you experienced enough different GMs? Have you been somewhere else? at a different convention, whether it's a Gen Con or coming out to here to the Rocky Mountain Savages and, and had, you know, experienced our GMs and our culture or a home GM or having Savage Worlds run by a GM you like outside of the system. Um, yeah, but I, I think one of the, I, I think you can kind of get a little bit too solipsistic and think that, you know, like I, I personally have only had three or four different GMs run Pathfinder for me. I wouldn't want to make grand statements about how Pathfinder is run in Florida or in New York or in Germany. Right. Because I think cultures have community and we have our own community here. And I think the, you know, that's kind of a special thing we have here. If you guys want to definitely come play with us, we get, it's good here. Um, you know, we, we get, we're so good. We get people who aren't even paid guests to come and play with us. Um, like Shane. And, um, yeah, so I think that's that to me, that was why kind of why the, the comments were as jarring as they were was that, it's, it's very against my experience as GMs and I'm, yeah. I'm not generally a cheerleading type. That was my big thing is, is I, I felt again, like I said, it was a blanket statement and is it five GMs at a convention that all were shitty, you know, cause all Savage Worlds GMs are shitty. That's, that's a pretty bold statement. Yeah. And, and it all, and it doesn't describe what about it enables the GMs. And so I mean, that, my stab at, at trying to explain giving them the benefit of the doubt on that side is that, because it's an easy system to run, maybe you'll have, you know, underprepared GMs. Um, but I, I wouldn't put all the eggs in one basket, especially when, you know, the, you know, we've got some viewer emails, and we'll probably either get to this show or next show, is talking about how in their convention, in their corner of the, of the country, all the conventions are just living campaigns. Whereas we, and I've heard someone like, uh, oh God, where was it? I think it made it was online, but they're like, oh my God, why would you want to do that? It's a bunch of one shots speaking about like what the Savage Worlds community was doing here in Denver, I'm like, oh no, you don't understand. The one shots are great. I mean, there's, there's so much more experimentation and, you know, creativity that goes on when you don't have to have everybody on the same page with a campaign or a setting where, you know, and you get more creativity. Variety. Because, yeah. That's, you get variety. So that's another thing that I think speaks against, yeah, that was kind of my, my point when we, we got into the, the, the Bill Keys um, 
Arabian Nights game was that, you know, the I was listing off GMs I played with, and we had the so Goonies Ghostbusters, we had the Arabian Nights game. I played in, um, Joe Thomas ran a game about the USS Constitution in the post-apocalypse. And so the Constitution is like the uh, the last um, full sail ship in the in the U.S. fleet. Okay. And um, so it's yeah, it's a ship that's got you know three masts and sails, and um, and it's kind of a point of pride in the Navy um, as being kind of this this great you know age of sail ship. Were you able to sail the seven seas in the Navy? The, well, we, we we got close. We, we it was fun though. So the that game, Joe did some different things in that game where he kind of added on his own kind of mechanics and. Um, it was a fun game, and you know it's a game that we've had enough. Or Joe's had enough response. He, he has to bring it back for for Genghis and then the next Tacticon because the players who were there, you know, the majority of them want to play that again. And actually, I even found a um, a scale model. I was uh, scouring for for gaming terrain at the thrift store and found for sale a uh, a wooden model kit for the USS Constitution. Oh, really? So yeah, the. Um, the it, it, it was a lot of fun because we had a couple people from the Air Force Base or who were in in, in government um, at that game. We had Joe, who's a, an, a former Marine, and um, you know I'm a complete you know landlubber. Um, but you know the my character, I actually decided I wanted to be the quartermaster and pretend to be a pirate. So um, I made little pirate hats for my my little figure, and it was hilarious. But um, it, it, it was a fun game because it was so different than other Savage Worlds games. It was not only um, I mean, Joe spent, I think, a good 20 minutes, half an hour at the beginning of that game getting us in the mood for what it's like being on this Age of Sail ship in the future post-apocalypse. And so it was kind of a, it was a Twilight 2000 conversion into Savage Worlds. And Joe does a lot of that. He converts, you know, aliens, colonial marines to Savage Worlds. and um, G.I. Joe. Joe. He loves to do G.I. Joe. So the uh, and, and so whereas, you know, one of my worst player experiences was at a, a convention where a GM spent too much time talking. This was one of the best because the we kind of became a crew in that in that little it was kind of like boot camp or whatever they call boot camp for the, the Navy, where we learned what the names of the sails were, you know, what the decks were, the, you know, the process of of calling for airstrikes and all this kind of stuff. Um, that was fun. That was getting everybody into the, mo- the the mood for that game. And since it was the last game on like Sunday, it didn't matter that you know if we went over time or whatever. It was kind of a quiet Sunday kind of game, and so people didn't have anywhere else to go except you know drive home for the end of the convention. So we, that was a fun game to just take take our time a little bit more, get into the the mood of it. And so that was you know again a superlative experience. I had Neil Hyde ran a game that was um, we were playing. Uh, I played, I think, a Spanish conquistador who was drunk, or there was a nun who was a bad nun. Um, we were kind of playing a Solomon Kane kind of games. And um, Steve Kellison ran me through a game that was um, Deadlands, that was kind of our own our own Twilight Legion versus a Deadlands. And we did, um, he did a couple, like a three-part series, and I got to play through, through, you know, through at least one of them. Brian McCabe ran a game where we were doing um, – Kind of Victorian, there was Victorian era intrigue. We were at a a hunting lodge in Ireland, and there was kind of this mystery, you know, mystery going on. So there, there was so much variety, so many different ways of GMing. I just don't believe that the system attracts or would enable the crappiest GMs in right. the industry. Um, well, speaking of Steve, looking back a couple of conventions ago when he ran his archer game. Uh, and he ran it as a Friday night bar fight. That's kind of one of the fun things we do uh, at the conventions is a couple games on Friday night, go down to the bar, and uh, everybody drinks, and they play the games in the bar. Well, his Archer game, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, he forgot the character sheets or something. Yeah. And basically, they went down to the bar, played the game, no character sheets, but people still talk about that game and about how much fun that was and how they want to do it again. Now, that's not going to happen in, in other systems, in my opinion. No. I mean, that's, that's the other thing, too, is I, I think by being, you know, not only the community you track, but the fact that if you need to make a roll, it's very easy in Savage Worlds to say, okay, fine, everybody gets a D6 in whatever skill that they need and a D8 in one skill, take your pick. 
that's it. I mean, you can play. You can, you can play anything you want where, you know, you get to roll your wild die on a d6 or a wild die on a d8 and just run with it. Um, and you don't need character sheets. I mean, on the fly, we ran that game. And, um, and I think because the players aren't expecting, um, you know, if, if you've got a game that's too independent or too narrative, there's no crunch. And you get into problems of, well, who's, who has the talking stick now? And so, you know, those kind of games um, are hard to bring in new players if they don't know kind of the how to cooperative story tell. Um, so you, you could get people who are, you know, scene hogs, whatever, and that, those can de- derail those games. Where I think Savage Worlds, I think because it doesn't reward certain munchkin-y styles of play or certain too-loose styles of play, gets people who are reasonable. I mean, I, I, I don't know a sexier word for it, where, you know, I've, I've never had um, a problem at the table with... I've, I've been in games where there have been problematic players who obviously had mental health issues that were totally outside of the game being played. Um, but other than that, I don't, I don't remember really any major problems where, a, you know, one player ruined the game for everybody else. Right. A, a rules issue came up that ruined the game. Um, you know, I know in my own GMing, you know, we, we double booked, you know, uh, two Genghises ago, um, could have been last year, but I think it was two. Um, we ended up having like six extra players who showed up for games and not wanting to turn people away. I ran two tables. I ran 10 people in one game slot and we ran two tables of the Deadlands module. And luckily I'd already run that game. So I knew it, you knew it well enough where I could juggle two different tables. And then like they kind of came back together for the final scene. And, um, but I mean, that was, that would not be something I'd be comfortable doing in, in another system. It'd be, if it were, if it were a narrative system, I'd worry that there were too many people in the room to get enough time to talk. If it were a crunch system, I think it'd be, I'd worry too much that, I'd have to teach too many people the rules and it, it wouldn't work. It'd be, you know, it'd be gimping the system too much to try to separate and combine. Whereas Savage Worlds, I kind of knew what I had to cut and I think I gave everybody enough time um, and kept the energy up so everyone was invested in what was going on at both tables. Um, and I don't think I could do that in another system. So, right. you know, it, I, I, I have had games that went south because I had too many people in the room, but I think that was a game that went really well because I had too many people in the room. And I think... You know, if you if you attended the first game that went bad, you'd say, "Well, he's a crappy GM." And Savage Worlds is a sucky system. Um, if you attended the second game, I think you'd say, "Wow, Savage Worlds was amazingly adaptable and you know corralled eleven people in a room through a three-hour adventure or four-hour adventure." So, uh, I, I I think given the the variety alone, um, which which gives you different play styles and different settings and, you know, different kind of home, homebrew rules to add. I don't know that you can say anything about Savage Worlds, you know, so blanketly as, you know, it tracks the best or the worst GMs. I right. Think. I think there's, there was, there was context needed, I guess is, is the big takeaway from this whole thing is, is saying something like that with no context kind of just leads to people like us going, what the hell? Yeah, exactly. So what do you guys think? Like, you know, our listeners, you're out there. Uh, send us emails, comment on, on this post or on the uh, the G Plus or Facebook when we post up this episode. Uh, what do you think about Savage Worlds as, the, as you know, the, a GM community and a player community? Uh, what do you think about other systems are either hard to GM or are notorious for attracting good or bad GMs or good or bad players? Um, let us know. We'll, we'll, we'll con- continue the dialogue and hopefully you guys... Um, we'll make arguments instead of just share opinions because arguments are fun. You know, when you state an opinion and then give a reason for it because the uh, you really can't argue opinions, but you can argue arguments. You know, you can kind of get to the meat of them. So the, uh, let us know what you guys think on uh, on Savage Worlds being uh, the GM quality, good or bad. So we've uh, let's, let's kind of talked a little bit about uh, the local convention. So let's talk a little bit about one coming up here in uh, Aurora, Colorado, over President's Day weekend in February, uh, we have Genghis Khan yeah, the 40th coming up. Year Genghis Khan forty. Wow, can you believe that? We have a special guest on the Savage Cast right now. A call in from Matthew Rowles, extraordinaire, the owner of Denver's two major gaming cons, Genghis Khan and Tacticon, here to give us the lowdown on what to expect this coming February sixteenth through nineteenth for 
Genghis Khan 40. Welcome, Matt. How's, how's it going, Matt? Hello there. Going fantastic, guys. It's an honor to be on the podcast yet again. Yeah, you're, you were on our very first show, so we've kind of come full circle, bringing you back around for the uh, 2016 end-of-the-year show. Yeah, the wrap-up. So tell us, what can we expect on the Savage Worlds and RPG front from Genghis Khan 40? Well, as we all know, because it's the 40th anniversary, this is a very special time for Genghis Khan. Also, Genghis Khan is a very special time anyway in the world, uh, just because, once again, we are the largest celebration of Savage World games in the country. In the world. We have even more games than Gen Con, uh, which is a huge thing for us. Savage Worlds. Indeed. One of the more exciting things, though, is normally, uh, of course, our wonderful Shane Hensley usually likes to technically sneak into the convention. He likes to just come in and watch everybody play. However, this year, Shane Hensley has submitted games to be played at Genghis Khan, which is a huge honor to have him run games. Um, him paired with, of course, our wonderful guest coming in from out of state, Ed Wetterman, doing our charity game for us. We also have Ross Watson and Sean Patrick Fannin running some great Savage Risk and something from their new project. I, uh, the name escapes me, but they have a new project that they're also working on. So we're also demoing the new project for Sean Patrick Fannin and Ross Watson. Um, Very cool. I think it's kind of a, a G.I. Joe kind of setting, isn't it? Like Strike yeah. Force or something like that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Something I've been seeing coming across the line there. Additionally, though, for the first time in many years, we have over 50 independent RPGs that are currently already slotted in the schedule, and we still have time for more. So definitely getting to see a lot of independents come through. Of course, we're going to have Dungeons & Dragons and Pathfinder returning to the convention, and that's just on the RPG side. So where do people head to sign up to get tickets, buy a weekend badge, submit games if they want to come out and GM? Now, there's two places to go. Now, the first place, of course, is our good old website, GengisConDenver.com, but that leads to you to the site, which is Tabletop.Events. Tabletop.Events is our new host this year. We got a new ticketing system uh, after many people wanted to see if we could do a little bit better on the ticketing side of things. So we have gone ahead and done so, and from the reports I've gotten from you, Chris, you've really enjoyed this new system. Yeah, it's great. I mean, the this one is easy enough to use where individual GMs can submit their own games, which takes a lot of burden off the coordinators. And um, it's nice. You can add table fees to raise money for charity or for your groups. Um, games go up as soon as they get approved, which is nice. We don't have to do... I know some people in the, the distant past really love the, everybody, games are going to go live on this midnight of this date, and then it wouldn't go live until like three in the morning because there were always problems with the website going live. And then, you know, there was this rush to get, yeah, no, 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 no. Now it's got a little more rolling submission and, and ticket buying, which I, I know for some people, they want to check in once and, and, uh, you know, purchase stuff, but Hey, there's already hundreds of games up. So you can fill your weekend already. Um, and we're expecting to get, you know, maybe double what we currently have. I think about 50 Savage games in so far. Um, we might reach towards that Savage 100 again. Yeah, I know there's a, a few games that are not in there yet. I know uh, the the ETU, the uh, our living ETU, that stuff's not in there yet. That should be coming very, very soon. Savage Mobby and I both have not put in our games yet. Yeah, so, so we have to get our games, and I'll be running a couple of the, the ETU games and uh, possibly something else. Or I, I may, for the first time in a long time, take Savage Saturday Night off and actually play something. Yes. Wow. Now that is cool because from what I've seen, Shane does have a game that's running Savage Saturday Night. I'll have to check into that. Yeah, he's kind of running our overflow game where he's got, uh, I think he's got room for 12, I think. That might be interesting. Uh, or at least eight. I think it was, it was more than eight. Maybe it was ten. Anyways, it was more. It was more than we could normally handle. So Shane will be getting a deluxe room for Savage Saturday Night to, to meet Definitely. the demand. Now, don't forget... There's not just Savage Saturday Night while we play. It's going on all weekend. Of course, we have those specialty games for Friday Night Bar Fight, as well as those late starter games on Sunday so you can sleep in after Saturday Night festivities. 
That's when I run. I run the, we're not going to get up at 9 a.m. and run on Sunday. We're going to get up at like 10 or 11 and start that. So, yes, we appreciate that. The um, And we're also doing a cool, like, tell us about the charity game. So Ed Wetterman is bringing all the Savage World stars are going to be playing in a game. Um, the name of the charity is Child's Play. Tell me a little bit about, about them. All right. So Child's Play uh, is our charity that was chosen this year. What they do is they take funds and they turn around and create gaming experiences for children in hospitals, either getting them uh, gaming consoles, gaming board games, dice, miniatures, the whole gambit. And they also bring in GMs to run games at hospitals for children who are sick. So that's child's play. What we are doing and what we are planning on doing is right now we have a Saturday night game slotted for benefiting child's play, but... We are also hopefully in the works of having a Thursday morning afternoon game run at a hospital that Child's Play benefits to go ahead and also bring some cheer to the kids who are currently there. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I thought it'd be really fun since we're bringing in Shane and Ed and Simon. We've got Ross and Sean and the whole Savages here. It'd be fun to actually have, like, let's let's go run some games for the kids at Children's Hospital you know, Thursday, most people take Thursday off work, you know, if they're traveling and all the guests are certainly going to be here by Thursday. So, yeah, let's take some time off, go up to Children's Hospital and see if we can't actually bring some Savage Worlds to the kids in Children's Hospital. That's a really cool cause. Um, you know, one close to my heart, my uh, my mom had her for her memorial um, donations go to Children's Hospital. So I think that's uh, it's kind of fitting that, you know, a couple of us in the community have had either kids with cancer this year or parents pass and have, you know, cancer charities as their, um, you know, their charities of choice for, for memorials. So that's kind of a cool thing. It should for- be a lot of fun. It would be really neat to go do that. I think just seeing the the kids and how much they, they need something like this and need something to, to have some fun and take their mind off what they're going through and doing something like this would be just great. Yeah. So awesome. So thanks Matt for allowing us that opportunity. The, um, so besides Genghis Khan, Denver.com and tabletop dot events. So events is the tabletop period events is the website to head. And you can, find Genghis Khan listed under conventions there. The, and we'll uh, put this in the show notes for sure. We will. The um, Which hotel is hosting us this year? So we are back at the Radisson Southeast down in Aurora. It has been our home hotel for the past five years. This year we are going to be moving most of the games back into the hotel, possibly. We may still get the annex, and that's the case we'll be returning there. But... So right now, all the games currently are slotted to be moved back into the hotel. For the full, cozy con experience? It'll be a very fun, cozy con experience. But at the same time, we will also be seeing some of the better things that we get to do out of that hotel, such as Friday night bar fight and other amenities that the hotel has always been very nice to provide for us. Yeah, and well, the big thing is the the real estate and rent and hotel market in Denver has been crazy for the last couple of years since certain legislation made certain other things legal. Um, tell us, how how, what, how much it is going to cost us for a room night at the Radisson? Now, normally it would cost you $139. However, our con, because of its lineage and because of how great all of our participants have been, are sitting at $94 a night. That's the right price. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a good price. So, uh, you know, if you're in the Denver area and you uh, have President's Day weekend free, come on up to Aurora to come to Genghis Khan. Uh, if you really uh, from out of state, you want to fly in. Hey, come see us. We'd love to have you at Genghis Khan. Yeah, and if you want to run games, the deadline to um, submit games for running is January 15th. January 15th. And if you run three games, four hours apiece, or 12 total hours of content, if you want to break that up in another way, the uh, Matt is a nice enough guy where he will refund you your entire badge fee. And We uh, appreciate our GMs. We appreciate the content they give us. And we are more than happy to make sure it's a little easier for you to attend the con if you're willing to do that for us. Yeah, and we definitely appreciate that. So the uh, awesome thanks, Matt, for calling in the show. Uh, we're excited for... Genghis Khan 40 coming up. Hopefully we'll have in the north words of 80 plus Savage Worlds games um, and hopefully similar for the independent. I love that there's so many independent RPGs. I mean, for a couple years there, the independents were kind of disorganized and were, were shrinking and seeing so many like Turn of the Card is back. There's 
Um, just a, a really cool mix of independents and old favorites and GMs who aren't part of either the, lar- the larger groups like Pathfinder, D&D, and Savage Worlds bring in games. So, I mean, that... By that, the way, Chris, I may have seen a GURPS come through. Oh, my God. I have to sign up a for it. A GURPS game. And, uh, and of course, uh, there's board games, miniatures, all those things that you would find at, uh, at any other con. So uh, n- not just RPGs. Yeah, it, it, in fact, this year we are adding one cool thing for you guys: retro arcade. Ooh! Oh, nice. Well, tell us a little bit about that. Well, we just got a uh, recent agreement with Arcadia, which is a cool convention-based arcade machine company. Uh, they will be coming in, providing us nine arcade machines. Some of them will be the good old Neo Geo's, Pac-Man, and uh, Donkey Kong. Uh, so all of you who used to be the arcade people, uh, we are going to give you back a little nostalgia for the weekend. And oh, that'll be fun. free to play. That's awesome. Oh, hey. free to play. Ooh. Nice. Well, there goes my games. No one's going to want to come play RPGs if they can play Pac-Man for free. <laughs> I'll have to unplug those machines during the right game time. Right? Yeah, that, 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 sounds, <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. The, um, is, is Gamers Haven running the miniatures room again? Yes, they are. Awesome. So Gamers Haven is coming back to run the miniatures room. They did an Envoy excellent Games job. Is sponsoring our board games this year. We have seven regional championships. Each one will send you on to Gen Con. Ooh. And, of course, we have the Denver Board Gamers League holding their spring championships at Genghis. Those guys are awesome. Um, so, And then, of course, we're going to have our usual land center. We have the auction on Friday night. And, of course, a host of other cool, fun new activities uh, panels hosted by Ross Watson, Sean Patrick Fannin, and a few others. Uh, I heard Shane might even drop in on one of them, so watch out for that. And uh, basically, it's just going to be a weekend of fun gaming and just being part of the community. Awesome. So once again, it's February 16th, which is a Thursday, through Sunday the 19th. That gives you that's a holiday weekend on Monday, so you can either fly home, drive home, you know, uh, sober up. Um, gives you time to you know, get back into work on Tuesday, a normal human being. And so February 16th through 19th, Genghis Khan, 40 rooms are as cheap as 94 a night. And uh, tabletop.events, look up Genghis Khan 40 there, or check out GenghisKhanDenver.com. And you will find a metric ton of savages, um, everybody from Shane on down to the lowly Savage Bowl, waiting for you guys in February. And if you want to get your games in uh, to come and increase the field any games are welcome january 15th is the deadline and you can do that from tabletop.events yeah thanks again matt for uh coming on it was uh appreciate you uh taking a little bit of time with us hey no problem guys thank you so much and looking forward to seeing you in february thanks buddy all right thanks well, hey, everybody, that's going to do it for this episode of Savage Cast. Uh, if you'd like to con- uh, contact us, you can contact us at our email address at uproar at savagecast.com. You can find us on Facebook, G+, Twitter. Go out to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review. We'd love to see them. And I think, Chris, do you have anything else? No, we're good. All right, well, thank you all for listening to Savage Cast, and may all of your dice explode. Boom!